Hello and welcome in. We appreciate you joining us for another Wednesday edition of the Prairie and Smith podcast. We're excited to talk some more Sunbelt football today, but before we do, if you didn't listen to our last two episodes where we provided updates for all the Sunbelt East and West schools and their spring practice, make sure you go back and give those a listen wherever you get your podcast. Today on episode 76 of the show, we're looking forward to having some fun with a topic that was submitted to us in the Frary and Smith mailbag. We'll be ranking our top 10 Sunbelt quarterbacks heading into the 2023 season. If you have a new show idea, make sure you send it our way by emailing us at frarysmith at gmail.com in the coming weeks. We'd certainly love to answer your Sunbelt football-related questions. Caden, the league lost some quarterback firepower last year with guys like Kyle Van Treese, Todd Santeo gone, who was the league's offensive player of the year, but neither of those guys are with their respective teams. We thought we were going to lose Grayson McCall, but surprise, he's back. There's also several notable returners, guys like Darren Granger and Carter Bradley. The question I pose to you, is it possible that the league could be deeper this season than they were in 2022 at the quarterback position? I think it is possible. No, I think it is really all going to come down to how some of these quarterbacks step in and fill some of these big shoes that are being placed in front of them. You talked about some of the games, names like a Kyle Van Treese, like a Chase Bryce. There's a ton of quarterback talent in this league that's now being looked upon to get replaced. And I think the potential of this position, the most important position in the game and of the conference is all going to come down to how many of those guys can now put their name in that conversation with a Grayson McCall and some of the other great quarterbacks we've seen in this conference the last couple of years. I definitely think there's the potential for it to happen. But again, there's always the potential, of course, for some of these kids to be bust, some of these transfers not to pan out for the conference, maybe not to be as loaded at that position than it has been in the past. Yeah, I couldn't agree with you more. And there's evidence of that over the last couple of years. Two years ago, Chase Bryce comes out of the transfer portal. He lives up to expectations, becomes a top four quarterback in the league. You saw guys like Kyle Van Treese last year, the transfer from Buffalo, have a all-league type season. A guy like Todd Santeo, who I mentioned was the offensive player of the year. So there has been recent successes. Oh, and I forgot Carter Bradley, uh, who transferred in from Toledo. So certainly uh, that will be interesting. Well, as we promised, we'll be ranking our top 10 quarterbacks in the Sun Belt in this episode. Let's not waste any more time. It's time to jump right in to today's topic. Caden, for, for me, the biggest intrigue was which way are we doing this? Are we going 10 to 1? And, you know, there's not a ton of intrigue, I feel like, at the top of the Sunbelt quarterbacks. Everyone kind of knows who we're probably going with with number one. Or, or, or do we start at the, the bottom and, and work our way to the top? Let's go 1 to 10. Let's keep people on the edge of their seat. Like we talked about, there's probably some more predictability. Some people that are familiar faces in the conference will be at the top of the list. But I think it definitely gets a little bit more interesting when you talk about some guys who we maybe haven't seen before. So I think we should start at 1. Yeah, let's do that. And, you know, just a little bit more about how we kind of picked these. It was a semblance of looking at success, both, you know, at previous schools as well as current schools, looking at returning weapons. And that's kind of how we settled in. Caden, you had the number one quarterback uh, for this top 10 ranking. Go ahead and uh, tell us who we all already know who it is. Yeah, not to the surprise of many, the number one ranked quarterback we're going to have for the Sunbelt Conference heading into this year is Grayson McCall, the Coastal Carolina quarterback, the school and Sunbelt legend that just has so many accolades that it would take all day to go through them. But he's the only player in Sunbelt Conference history to win player of the year for the conference three times. He's the coastal record holder for touchdowns responsible for and touchdown passes. He's painted his names all across the record book. And listen, is he the best athlete in the conference? Does he have the best arm in the conference, the strongest? No, but is he the best winner? Is he the most accurate, the best decision maker? Absolutely. And you could talk to any defense that's faced him. You could talk to any of the coaches that face him. They know he's the top guy and the biggest handful to go through. I mean, if you look at his numbers, he's thrown for over 2,000 yards the last three 
seasons, closer to 3,000 yards the last two seasons, 24 touchdowns last year, 27 before that, 26. Reached 1,000 yards rushing this year with 195 on the ground. And obviously that was a career low for him. He had some injuries that he was going through this year. But the most impressive stat, I think, for me personally as a defensive back and someone who just has an appreciation for this part of the game Eight career interceptions for Grayson McCall, two last season, three in the pre- previous two seasons. Just the model of efficiency of the quarterback position, and I think his production in the past and what we're looking forward to seeing from him this season, I think is just tough to argue with him being that top guy in the conference, maybe even the group of five. Yeah, I could not agree with you more. You know, to me, again, those that career interceptions, it just really stands out. Eight says, I'm not going to lose football games for you. He is a guy that only can help you win football games. He's not going to be the guy that loses it. You mentioned the touchdown numbers. He's probably going to get to 100 career touchdowns this year. He's just 22 away. Caden, for me, the biggest thing, and I'm interested to see, is what's his ability to adjust to an NFL-style offense that we expect to see Travis Trickett and Tim Beck bring in. His arm strength has always been the biggest question mark with McCall, but uh, you know we've heard that he spent the offseason getting stronger. I feel like he has a really good chance at success with some of his best wide receivers coming back this year. Yeah, there's no question. He's bringing weapons back in the backfield and out wide, and I think we know that he knew Jamie Chadwell's system like the back of his hand. I think the question this season is going to be, is he going to know this Tim Beck offense like the back of his hand? He showcased his decision-making abilities, his ability to run his accuracy, all that stuff he was able to put on display the last three years. But now, can he put that arm strength on display? Can he work out of the pocket a little bit more? Can he run? Listen, the offense that they ran last couple of years at Coastal was great, but it's not an NFL offense. It's going to look more like what we see on Sunday. So I think my question for you, Noah, is if you had to predict going into the season, Grayson McCall taking a step back, taking a step forward, or maybe staying the same in this new system, what do you think you're expecting out of this season with Grayson and Tim Beck? I learned last year you never bet against Grayson McCall. He has been that good in his career. I would dare say he's the odds-on favorite for four-time Sunbelt Conference Player of the Year. I think he'll have another big year. I think he's going to showcase some skill sets that we haven't seen. Uh, And, Caden, I'm looking forward to it. I think uh, it's a great pick at number one because Grayson McCall is, I think, destined to have another big year in a Coastal Carolina uniform and possibly be a first or second-round draft pick next year. We'll see. Uh, let's move on. My guy here, I went at number two. Uh, this was Carter Bradley for me. Uh, he's already the best quarterback in South Alabama history after just one season. You know, there wasn't much history uh, before Carter Bradley. He tore up the record books last year. Caden, uh, we've talked about this on several of our episodes this offseason. South Alabama's bringing back a lot of talent both on both sides of the football. Uh, on offense, though, particularly, there's only really one guy that made a huge impact last year. Uh, And that was Jalen Wayne, who's not coming back. He's expected to get drafted in the next couple of weeks. Unlike last offseason, Caden, here's what has me most excited about Carter Bradley right now. He has been able to spend this offseason further building relationships with some of his top returning receivers. Last year, he was fighting for a job. This year, it's his job to begin with. Now he can continue to get better. He can learn that offense even better, much like you talked about a guy like Grayson McCall doing where... Now you start to know that uh, that offense inside and out. Uh, you know, he threw for over 3,300 yards last year, 28 touchdowns through the air. If there was one thing that I'm hoping to see him further clean up, he needs to throw less interceptions. You just talked about Grayson McCall throwing two last year. He threw 12. That has to get better. If he can turn more of those interceptions into better offensive drives, look for him to throw for 30-plus touchdowns this year. The evaluators say he has an NFL-caliber arm. We've certainly seen that on full display. 
Uh, and, you know, ultimately, Caden, fortunately for South Alabama, uh, he was they were able to hang on to their offensive coordinator, Major Applewhite. We saw a lot of coordinators leave the Sun Belt this year. Keeping Major Applewhite alongside Carter Bradley, you also keep a guy like LaDamian Webb in the backfield. That screams Carter Bradley's about to have a massive year for a Jags team that might very well be the favorite heading into the year. Yeah, I think you touched on some great things there. I think the fact that him and Major Applewhite were able to have so much success so fast with him joining the team so recently, I feel like between him and Kyle Van Treese and Todd Zenteo, we really kind of took for granted how fast these quarterbacks were able to take in the system and be productive in it. And with Carter coming back now with almost all of his weapons from the year before and that continuity, it's hard to really discount and disavow how important that's going to be. And I think a big thing for me, as Carter goes into this next season that was strong and stood out to me, was just his finish to the season. You talked about those interceptions. I was kind of a, an issue that plagued him all season. But you look at his last two games of the season. I mean, he had two fourth quarter go-ahead touchdowns in those last two games to beat Old Dominion, to beat Southern Miss, and just came up big for his team in the fourth quarter when you could easily say in the biggest games of the year before that against Detroit and Louisiana that he maybe didn't quite play up to that standard. So I think him having more of a hotter hand at the end of the season may be some more something something we can see more going into next season but it's hard not to be excited about carter bradley based on the season he had last year the weapons he's bringing back and the continuity that that team as a whole is bringing back next year for sure yeah it could be a big year for the south alabama jaguars caden uh your guy was at number three here yeah i'm genuinely happy to say that the number three quarterback on this list is georgia state quarterback darren granger this is a guy that i've counted out this is a guy that i wrote off but just like geno smith he did not write back he's a two-year sunbelt starter which not many people on this list can say but he had the best season of his career last year he completed 58 percent of his passes had a career high 2443 yards 18 touchdowns rushed for another career high 734 yards leading his team in rushing yards on the ground for a georgia state team who loves to run the ball that's absolutely insane had a career high six rushing touchdowns and really why is he number three why is he the main guy it's because you could really argue out of all of the quarterbacks last season he had the most on his plate Found some good stat digging for you, Noah. He threw just as many pass attempts last year as Grayson McCall, 287. And he ran the ball by far more than any other conference quarterback. He put his Superman cape on truly. He's the reason they won all the games they did win. He had his fingerprints on all of it. But I think now the thing we both want to see that everyone wants to see is that play style translate to wins. This team got off to an 0-4 start last year, ended the season 0-3. And even in that in those losses, he had three of the best games of the season. He threw for over 300 yards in three of those games. He loses the backfield. He loses Jemias Williams. He loses Tucker Gregg. He loses his number one receiver, Jamari Thrash. So it's not looking like this is a team that might be trending in the right direction. But if he can somehow take that elite play, that Superman play, and put it on and turn that into wins for this team, I think it's going to be able to build some momentum for this program and really just be a good thing for the Sun Belt overall if his fantastic dual threat abilities can maybe chalk up to some wins for Georgia State this year. Yeah, Caden, I could not agree with you more. For me, Darren Granger is the best dual threat quarterback in the Sun Belt. Uh, I agree with you in the fact that I personally think he could be higher on this list if it wasn't for the outlook of Georgia State this coming year. They're not expected to win a lot of games. He can change the game. He's also going to have to do it without some of his biggest weapons, like you mentioned. Caden, I did some stat digging as well, and the one that was most impressive to me, Darren Granger, throughout the four years of his career, is responsible for 1.8 touchdowns per game. So basically, he's on average responsible for somewhere between 12 and 14 points on his own. That gives you something to build on, and Georgia State certainly is going to have to continue to do that. But Darren Granger could very easily be higher on this list. If you put him on a James Madison or some of these other teams in the league, 
Darren Granger would probably be in the conversation with a Grayson McCall and a Carter Bradley. Yeah, that's a great stat there. And I think it really just speaks to how much of an offensive catalyst this guy is and why he has gone up so high on this list for us as probably a guy last year who wasn't really even sniffing the top five. And I think you talked about it. If you kind of plug and play him when you start having these quarterback exercises and wonder if this guy was on this team, if this guy was on that team, what would happen? It's kind of hard to argue based off the season Darren Granger had last year. If you put him in a better situation that that team wouldn't thrive and some of that play wouldn't result in wins. So very curious to see how they surround him this year and see what his potential could be coming off of a four-year career that's now looking like it's getting to that peak yeah absolutely Kane you've got another dual threat quarterback at number four yeah it's another guy we're really high on and a guy that we have high hopes for again this season it's the quarterback out of Marshall Cam Fancher he takes over for Henry Columbi last year after that Wednesday night loss to Louisiana goes out the next week defeats James Madison in his first start granted no tots and tail was playing that game he had some interceptions he got sacked but he got the job done getting a road win against James Madison then in his second start versus Coastal Carolina they don't get the win they struggle to score the ball but he throws for a career high 320 yards he gets sacked four times in that game and then ever since then Marshall did not lose a game you talk about a guy like Henry Columbia who got sacked 20 times in his first six starts Fancher in his seven starts was only sacked 12 times, and seven of those were in the first two. So he's a mobile guy who got better throughout the year. He cleaned up those interceptions that were kind of haunting him in the beginning of the year. And every game that he plays and that he's playing well, it's looking like Marshall can win in that game. So I think you look at how he ended his season so strong. You have the great defense on that side of the ball. The run game is going to be there with Rasheen Ali. And he's proven that he's a winner. I think the big question for him, like a Darren Granger, but just in kind of a different role, is can he take that next step? Because he does have the weapons around him. He does have the infrastructure and he does have the team around him to where his play, his dual threat dynamic play, can maybe take this team now versus a Georgia State team who's going to take them into a bowl conversation. This can take them into an undefeated championship ranked competition. So we heard that a young Chad Pennington is pushing him maybe a little bit in the quarterback battle right now, but you have to just look at his roster, his ability and the potential. And you can't really deny that he might be able to do the most damage out of all the quarterbacks in the East this season. What he's given with his God given ability and what he's given with his team as well. Yeah, quite possibly. I think the other note here to make Caden is that he is the youngest quarterback in our top five. I'm not giving away much because our next quarterback is, is quite a bit older than Cam Fancher. Um, I think there could be a conversation if Fancher does what you think he could do this year, Caden. Could he usurp Darren Granger as the league's premier dual threat quarterback? Uh, I also thought it was interesting. You mentioned, you know, in some of those winning games, the one thing Cam Fancher did really well is he got better with every start. And by the end of the year, all four of his 200 plus yard passing performances came in his last six games. Uh, He's going to have Rasheen Ali back. So I think the cards are set up well for Cam Fancher to have a big year. Uh, I'm a little bit concerned at the wide receiver position. Obviously, his leading receiver, Corey Gamage, not back. Uh, but he has an offseason here where he's probably the starting quarterback uh, in everyone's mind. And now he can continue to grow. I'm excited to see that growth for Fancher. Caden, my number five guy or our number five guy in these rankings is a guy that has been around the league for a long time. And that is Gunnar Watson for Troy. Um, you know, for me, Gunnar Watson... He has to be considered a top five quarterback in this league because he's shown the ability to play at a high level in this league. Uh, he threw for nearly 3,000 yards last year, was responsible, though, for only 14 touchdowns. That's got to get better uh, for him moving into this year for this Troy offense. Caden, for me, for Gunnar Watson, the biggest thing he needs to change is he needs to move away from being a bit of a game manager to a bit of a game changer. He has shown that ability in his career. I think back to that Sunbelt title game that you and I were standing sideline where he changed that game, 318 yards, three touchdowns. 
Um, so he has that in him. I would like to see that more consistently for him. And as with the Troy Trojans fans, he is going to be without his best weapon, Tez Johnson, who goes to Oregon, but he's got guys like Stoudemire, Jabari Barber, you know, Marcus Rogers, Devontae Ross all coming back. So there's a lot of weapons for Gunnar Watson. Uh, he's going to have a strong running back room, Kamani Baidal and Asa Martin. And, you know, the one thing again that Troy was lucky is they did see continuity at the offensive coordinator position this offseason with Joe Craddock sticking around. And we are hearing good things about this more up-tempo offense, which I think will allow him to get into a rhythm. He is better when he's in a rhythm. You put all that together, Gunnar Watson has to be in the top five in this league. Yeah, he has to be in the top five, Noah, just because of the pedigree, too. You could argue out of any of the quarterbacks on this list, he has the most impressive single game that any of them have ever had. 318 yards, three touchdowns. And a 286 passer rating in the Sunbelt Championship game does earn you a spot in the top five if you're in the Sunbelt list of quarterbacks. But you talked about it. This Troy team coming into this year, is it going to be as magical as last year? Is that defense going to be able to win some, them some games? Are they going to be able to pull off some of those late finishes? Hard to tell, and most people would bet against no just because of how magical that season was. But if you take a guy like Gunnar Watson, you talked about it. He's more of an elevator versus a game manager. Maybe he can go out there and win some games like the defense was able to do for them last year. I think that would take this team and this culture to a whole nother level. And I think another thing we should look at with Gunnar Watson as well, another stat I found, he was the most sacked quarterback in the conference last year, sacked 38 times. So maybe up front, if we can get him some help as well, he has some more time back there with this new up tempo system as well. I think there are some small areas that are going to help him out going into the season as well, despite some of the big losses and leadership on the defensive side of the ball with a Tez Johnson as well. So I do think this could be a year where maybe he takes another leap. And I don't know if the Troy team is going to be able to take that leap with him just because of their personnel, but very intrigued on this Troy team, just in a weird position, I feel like as defending champs with a guy like Gunnar Watson at the helm. Yeah, that stat you just said is fascinating, Caden, to think about because you had guys like Jake Andrews at center who's going to be an NFL draft pick in a couple weeks, Austin Stidham, who was fantastic out at left tackle. You did have some guys playing out of position, though, and that might have led to some of that, particularly early on in the season, and they didn't have a well-established running uh, running game. I'd be interested to know once they started running the football uh, better, you know, was there less sacks there, but we'll have to save that for another episode. Caden, let's move on, and these next couple are mine. And and really, Caden, there was a theme as we both sat down and kind of put together this list. Really, the next three or four guys are transfer quarterbacks. And it was interesting. I think we could have flipped a coin between guys at six, seven, eight, and 9 in this list. Uh, and so we did have to kind of look about history, a little bit of some of the returning weapons. Uh, and so... Okay, now I'll go ahead and start at number six, and probably this is the one that I think we're most interested or there's the most intrigue around, and that's Malik Hornsby at Texas State. I'm putting him at number six. For me, he's the presumptive starter at Texas State heading into the season. He's a former top five dual threat quarterback out of high school, goes to Arkansas, doesn't play a lot, but he really only had one start to show for his time at Arkansas, and it was a dandy. He goes for 234 yards through the air, throws a touchdown, runs for another 114 yards against an old Miss team. Texas State is returning four of their top five targets from the 2022 season. You've got Ashton Hawkins, who led that team with 56 catches and seven touchdowns. Watch out for Ortega Jones and Charles Brown, Lincoln Perry. Uh, all those guys had 20-plus catches. And they also, you know, Perry showed the ability to be a big threat out of the backfield. Uh, you know, the other big thing here for me in Hornsby is that he's going to be working with Mac Lepwich. And if you're not familiar with his work, you just have to look back at Incarnate's words offense a year ago and his ability to elevate a guy like Lindsey Scott to, you know, otherworldly numbers. 
if he's able to do that here with Malik Hornsby, he's got the wide receivers in play to do that. They brought in some transfers. I think this is set up for Malik Hornsby to be one of the more talented quarterbacks in the conference. Yeah, first of all, Malik Hornsby's one start was against Mississippi State, so I'll correct you there. That was against that air raid offense, and that's why he was able to do so much in that game because their offense was on the field quite a bit. But when we talk about Malik Hornsby and for our listeners who maybe are hearing this hype that we keep putting around this guy, him coming from the SEC, coming from the Arkansas and that pedigree he has. Well, the reason we're hyping him up so much is because there's, I don't know if you know this, Noah, but there's a YouTube video titled The Fastest Quarterback in College Football, Malik Hornsby, Arkansas Highlights. And there's interviews where they talk to some of his teammates in Arkansas and they said he was the fastest guy on the team and it's not even close, direct quote. So this is going to be a guy who brings a level of athleticism, especially at the quarterback position that we have not seen in the conference, I think, ever. He's a blazing fast guy. He's a track guy. He's going to be a guy that even if this new offense isn't able to strongly be predicated on the pass game, Georgia Southern a couple years ago ran the triple option and did just fine winning football games in this conference. If a quarterback of his athleticism, like Malik Hornsby, it's going to all come down to his arm, but even just what he's able to do with his legs and athleticism, he's definitely going to be able to make noise, I feel like, in this conference. Okay, now how much do you buy into straight line speed in the game of football, though? In this new era of college football, I buy into mobility more than anything. I don't think it's too much of a secret that most of the quarterbacks that we talked about above Malik Hornsby on this list are dual threat guys or mobile guys who have triple digit rush numbers every single year. So I'm not going to necessarily buy too, too much in the the flat line speed. I think it adds another dynamic and a new dynamic to Texas State's State's offense that they've never had that's going to give defenses another thing to worry about. But I just think mobility as a whole in the game of football right now, in this conference, across high school, college, and the NFL, is just something you can't buy compared to a traditional pocket pass. And I just think Malik Hornsby, just due to his speed, is going to be able to buy more time than most people in the conference. Hey, Caden, they certainly gave that App State defense a lot to worry about last year. Texas State, I'm talking about, but uh, we'll move past (laughs) that quickly. Uh, Caden, let's move on to my number seven guy. And uh, he was a guy that there was some talk when we did our top 10 transfer list that he should have been included I'm not going to argue. I think he could have a big year this year, and that's Davis Brin at Georgia Southern. Uh, He's sitting at number seven on my list, but I think he could very easily be a top five quarterback in this league if he's able to put up anything close to what Kyle Van Treese did in 2022. He's thrown for over 5,400 yards in his career. He's thrown for 35 touchdowns in the past two seasons. Could he top that number 35 in just one season in Brian Ellis's system? I think that's in play, and if he does, Watch out for him in the top five. He comes in with a similar build to Kyle Van Treese. Uh, He weighs about 15 pounds less. They're similar in height. Uh, Caden, here's something interesting to note. Brian Ellis' last two quarterbacks, Kyle Van Treese and Bailey Zappi. You might recognize that name. He's been playing in the NFL this year, had some big starts. Uh, And Caden also recognizes that name because he shredded that App State defense. I'm going to give you a chance to respond in a minute. But uh, he'll have some big-time weapons as well coming back. Caleb Hood and Derwin Burgess are back at Georgia Southern. Those are big-time weapons. We've heard good things about the transfers, Queeley and Barden uh, from Syracuse and Pitt, respectively. And this wide receiver room is going to be deep this year, maybe six or seven deep. And let's be honest, Kyle Van Treese could have had a better year last year had he not lost half of his wide receiver room to injury. If this room is as good as they're thinking it is, watch out for Davis Brin at Georgia Southern this year. Well, first of all, no no shame in getting torched by Bailey Zappi. I'm not the first, and I probably won't be the last, depending on how his NFL career goes with the Patriots right now. But you know, when you talk about a guy like Davis Brin, I think you could argue that he has the most 
impressive statistical resume of any quarterback that's ever entered this conference. I mean, he had a much more impressive career and stat lines than Kyle Van Trees did when he came from Buffalo into Georgia Southern last year. This is a guy that had two 400-yard passing games last year, and he wasn't in the offense that he's about to be in. So I think when you look at what he's done in his body of work, you can argue that he might be even better than Kyle Van Trees last year, just looking at what he's done before. He still has to beat out J.C. French, but when you talk about it, this is a team that's clearly putting a priority on their wide receiver group. He's going to have a ton of weapons, and we saw how fast the Brian Ellis was able to get Kyle Van Trees up to speed last year. Have to imagine he's able to do the same thing this year. And another thing we talked about a lot last year was just how well protected Kyle Van Trees was. If Davis Brin is able this season to have some good protection as well and was already able to do some great numbers at Tulsa last year, sky's the limit for, for him for sure going into Georgia Southern this year if he does win that starting spot. Yeah, definitely agree with you. And and honestly, if J.C. French were to win the job, the transfer from Memphis, I'd probably put him here at number seven just because of the offense that he will be stepping into. Caden, uh, go ahead and walk us through uh, your number eight. Yeah, with number eight, we went with Jordan McLeod, the quarterback at James Madison. He's a redshirt senior from Tampa, Florida, who spent the last three seasons or the first three seasons of his career, sorry, at USF and the last two at Arizona. This is a guy who did not play at all in the 2022 season. But Jaden DeLara is actually a pretty solid player that was playing in front of him last year, a quarterback at Arizona. But he probably dodged a bullet overall just looking at that program that's only won four conference games in the last couple of years. But in his two starts that he did have at Arizona in 2021 was against Oregon, where he did not play well, had one touchdown, five interceptions. Against UCLA, he wasn't able to get the ball in the end zone either. But those were, again, on Arizona teams that were just not very competitive when you look at what they were doing in the Pac-12 the last couple of years. But if you flip over to his career at USF, it's a way different story. And I think that's why you, me, and some other people have some more promise and upside looking at him joining this conference. In his two seasons there, he made 17 starts, had 10 as a redshirt freshman, seven as a sophomore. So he's a guy who was thrown into the fire early. And you could see from his first year to his second year, him make some big improvements. This is a guy that didn't take great care of the ball with eight interceptions in his first year, brought that down very quickly to just two the next year. And I feel like He's had some big games in his career and showed flashes as a younger player. He had a 400-yard, four-touchdown game against UCF just as a sophomore. And I think him being an older player now who's had to learn a couple offenses and now goes into a winning program and a culture like James Madison, you have to be optimistic about it, especially looking at what they did last year with another transfer quarterback, Todd Santeo. Kurt Signetti is saying this is a four-team race. So again, this is another situation where this might be a guy, or four-quarterback race, sorry. This might not be a guy who's starting next year per se, but just looking at his body of work, the talent that they're trying to put around him and the culture that he's joining. Hard not to put him and leave him off this list at number eight. Yeah, to me, this is a perfect spot here, but also, you know, he could be much higher on this list. And here's a couple of reasons why. Kurt Signetti has shown the ability to develop older quarterbacks. You look at a guy like Ben DiNucci, who transferred from Pitt. He's now in the XFL. He had a legendary couple of years there at James Madison. You talk about a guy like Cole Johnson, who sat the bench for four years and then was ready to go when his number was called. Todd Centeno finds success in his first year after transferring from Colorado State last year. And Caden, much like Centeno, he can extend plays with his legs and can make almost any throw on the field. Some have even said that he makes his best throws when moving outside the pocket. You've said on this podcast how much you hate playing dual threat quarterbacks, and that's who Jordan McLeod is. And that could make this James Madison offense dangerous. I think the only thing that maybe is holding us back is he didn't play last year. And you can also look at the wide receiver room that still could be good this year, but you're missing some big names like Ravenel and Thornton, who we've talked about in some of our spring practice updates. 
Jordan McLeod has the talent to be higher on this list, but this feels like it's the right spot, Caden. It is, and we talked about the comparisons between him and Todd Senteo, and I found some very interesting stats here. There's obviously two quarterbacks that made two stops at other schools before coming to James Madison for their final year. Going into their years at James Madison, though, 292 pass completions for Jordan McLeod, 291 for Todd Senteo. Each of them both had 23 touchdown passes as well going into their JMU seasons. Todd Santel obviously built on that and had the best season in his career, but very similar numbers for two guys going into very similar situations. He obviously has big shoes to fill, but I think the framework, the body of work, and even some of the numbers are saying that maybe he could have a Todd Santel S season coming up here for James Madison. You just said something that made a lot of Duke fans very happy comparing him to Jordan or Todd Santel. Uh, we will see, Caden. Well, Caden, let's move on to someone that I'm sure you want to talk about. Your pick at number nine, and he happens to be wearing an App State jersey. Surprise, surprise. Yeah, again, another transfer who is in the midst of a quarterback battle right now, one that we talked about in a prior episode, is a close one. But I have to put this guy on the list just because I've seen it for myself. And it's App State transfer quarterback Joey Aguilar. This is a junior that's 6'3", 210. Just the prototypical body you want for your quarterback. He played two seasons at Diablo Valley Community College in Central California and a guy who was an all-conference first-team selection two years in a row. But they only played six games last season, but... It was one where he had 64% of his passes completed, 1,400 yards in the air, was also a dual threat, able to make it happen on the ground with 358 yards on the ground as well, 59 yards per carry on the ground. He has the stats that back up some production that's very impressive, but I actually did watch the film on this guy, and I have to say there's a lot of good tools there. He has the deep ball accuracy. He can make the tight window throws. He has that pocket presence and the ability to throw outside of the pocket. The question is going to be, can he translate that from the JUCO level to the App State level to the Sunbelt level? I saw it with my own eyes, and this kid does have a cannon. If you wanted to build a quarterback, have that prototypical build, and the ball just comes out of his hand effortlessly, fast, and easily, he's your guy. He's a dual threat. He's a big body. He has a live arm. He can make off-platform throws, and he also still has a lot of the same weapons that Chase Bryce had last year. He has a Christian Horn returning. He has Dalton Stroman, who's on the rise, returning. Caden Robinson. Deshaun Davis is going to be a guy, I think, in the slot this season for App State that's going to get utilized a lot more and that people are going to have a handful covering. Chase Bryce, with the same weapons, pretty much, had the third most passing yards and tied for the second most touchdowns in the conference. So it's hard to argue with the weapons that he's going to have around him. I think the question is going to be, can Joey, for one, win that starting spot. And if he does lose it, I think the quarterback, Ryan Berger, who is going to be in that spot, could potentially work his way up on this list as well. But can he win that spot and can he match that production that we've seen at the quarterback position for the last four, five, six, seven? For for eternity, it feels like at App State is going to be the question for Joey. Yeah, there's been a lot of great names at the quarterback position. Kane, a good friend of yours, Zach Thomas, uh, is one of those. Also recently got married. So congratulations to Zach Thomas. I know he's a casual listener of the podcast from time to time. Caden, you missed one thing here, and this is a big X factor for me. Frank Ponce back in the fold at App State. Uh, He had a lot of success uh, with Chase Bryce in year one, took him to all conference type levels. I think that could be huge for the Mountaineers. Uh, Like you mentioned, App State's bringing back guys like Nate Noel, who's shown the ability to catch passes out of the backfield. He was better at doing that than a guy like Cameron Peoples. Uh, and then again, as you mentioned, multiple weapons at wide receiver. So Joey Aguilar has all the pieces. He could put this together. And if he does, uh, maybe there will be celebration instead of despair on the mountain in 2023. Uh, Caden, I'm going to move on to number 10. Is there a list that we do? Is there an episode that we do where we don't mention Southern Miss? I have to mention them here, but 
I don't know who their quarterback's going to be. But I feel like there's enough weapons around whoever their quarterback is going to be that they deserve a mention here. And stick with me, Southern Miss fans, because I feel like there is an opportunity for whoever the quarterback is. We still don't know. I don't even think Will Hall knows at this point. There is an opportunity for whoever this quarterback is to move much higher on this list. Okay, now I'm hearing a lot of differing opinions from around that Southern Miss program. A lot of people like the Houston transfer, Holman Edwards. He does come with limited college experience, but he also spent time learning behind Clayton Toon over the past couple of seasons. Ask Louisiana how they feared against Clayton Toon in their bowl game. Um, Will Hall has shown a liking, though, I'm hearing, to Clemson transfer Billy Wilds, a guy who started his career as a walk-on for the Clemson Tigers. He's another player with limited playing experience. It does sound like Zach Wilkie is going to need to do some otherworldly things in order to win this starting job. He had a big year or a decent year last year in eight games, eight touchdowns, a little over 1,100 yards. Uh, But he would need to have a good fall camp in order to win this job. So it's probably a two-man battle between Wiles and Edwards. Caden, here's why I think this quarterback battle is so interesting. They have guys like Jacarius Kasten, Ty Mims, who are two of the best slot weapons in the Sunbelt Conference heading into this year. You've got Frank Gore in the backfield. He's arguably the league's top running back and maybe an early favorite for Offensive Player of the Year. The winner of this job has a chance to climb these rankings because of the weapons that they will be surrounded by. We've been talking about Southern Miss quarterbacks for the last couple of years. Will this be the year that they hit on one of these guys? And if they do, watch out because Southern Miss might be a real threat in the Sunbelt West. Yeah, and a great defense is also the best friend of a quarterback, and this nasty bunch is bringing a ton of talent and continuity back as well. If they can get into that string where they're holding teams to around 20 points a game, even less, then it's going to make whoever is the quarterback for this team, it's going to make their job a lot easier. And hearing mixed thing out of Southern Miss, mixed feelings and emotions about the quarterback battle, it gives me mixed feelings. I'm curious if this is just them maybe still trying to sort out and find out who their guy is, or maybe they kind of have an ace up their sleeve. They kind of have a good feeling about someone and they're trying to maybe take people off of their quarterback battle and have people not really know who's going to be their day one starter. But I think at the end of the day for this quarterback battle for Southern Miss, we talk about the talent that they have with a Jacarius cast and a Ty Mims, a Frank Gore. We heard great things about Zay Franks as well. I think at this point in this battle, at this position for this team, you have to just go with who's maybe the best identity and who fits the mold of this team the best. I think maybe you might have a quarterback that's better at certain things than other. Maybe you need a quarterback that's more mobile if your offensive line is showing struggles. Maybe you need the guy who has maybe the best chemistry with the guys out, out wide, maybe the best deep ball thrower. Whatever they need on this offense, whoever does that best for this team should be able to do it. I'm not even necessarily saying it needs to be the best quarterback in their room, but whoever's their best winner, whoever matches the identity of this team and offensive best, I think should be the day one starter and has definitely a huge chance with this team, this roster and this schedule to move up our rankings as the season goes along. Yeah, I couldn't agree with you more, Caden, and I will tell you, it took everything in me not to list Frank Gore Jr. as the 10th best quarterback in the Sunbelt Conference, the super back. Don't be surprised to see him there if Will Hall can't make a decision heading into the season. Uh, Frank Gore, uh, we kid, but he has been uh, one of the biggest names in the Sunbelt Conference and expect to see that heading into the 2023 season. Well, Partner, this has been a lot of fun. This was a good episode. This was a good exercise. I think we'll have to do some more of these throughout the offseason, kind of going through some different position groups. And maybe, Caden, before we get into the season, maybe you and I should do some sort of like fantasy football draft, picking uh, you know some teams and kind of riding that out through the year and seeing how they go. What do you think about that? 
Yeah, Noah, any opportunity I have to beat you in some sort of draft or us making our picks before the games heading into the season, I won't say no to and I'll be game for. So whenever you want to draft some of these guys and have them go head to head, you just let me know the time and the place and we can talk about it here on the pod. Yeah, I think maybe we'll uh, we'll put a dinner on the line or something, put some money where our mouths are and uh, and see how that goes. So yeah, that sounds like fun. I think we'll have to uh, plan that into the future. Well, that will do it for this episode of the Frarian Smith Podcast. Thanks for continuing to support the show throughout the offseason. We're excited to continue interacting with you throughout the remainder of the offseason and moving into the 2023 season. Again, here's a quick reminder about our mailbag. If you have Sunbelt football-related questions, send them our way by emailing Smith at gmail.com in the coming weeks. We'd love to hear from you. Before you go, don't forget that we'll be back with the next episode of the Frary and Smith podcast on Wednesday next week. And Caden and I am really excited about this. We will be sitting down with new Coastal Carolina head coach Tim Beck to discuss why the Chanticleers job was so appealing to him. We're going to talk Grayson McCall and much more in that interview, so make sure you tune in next Wednesday for that episode with Coastal Carolina head coach Tim Beck. Well, that'll do it for us here at the Freud Smith Podcast. As always, if you like today's episode, take a moment to like, rate, and subscribe to the show wherever you get your podcasts. It really helps us and the show out. We're going to continue bringing you some great content as well as guests from around the Sun Belt throughout the remainder of the offseason. So for Caden Smith, Richmond Weaver, and Brett Jemis, I'm Noah Frary. Thanks for joining us today. Well, that's goodbye for now. We'll talk to you again soon. Thank you.